Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we do give you thanks and praise. You are truly God to us. We thank you that you have made yourself known to us. We know that it is impossible that you should not be who you are. But we also know it's very, very possible that we should not know it. So we realize what it took to cause us to know that you are God. To cause us to worship you as God. To cause us to delight in you as God. To cause us to live for you as God. To recognize the awesome privilege of calling you God. Lord, we know that it took the blood of Christ to give us this understanding, this knowledge, this peace, this joy, this hope. This capacity to worship you, to love you, to bless you, to honor you. God, we adore you. There are no words. We simply bow our hearts, bow our heads in your holy presence. Acknowledging you did not have to tell us that you exist. It is a privilege to believe in God. It is a privilege to worship God, a privilege to follow God, a privilege to love God, a privilege to honor God. What a joy it is to make mention of your name this morning. The universe in all of its glory and splendor can't do what we're doing right now, which is to verbally thank you and with understanding honor you and call you our Savior, our Redeemer, our God. We bless you. We bless you. We bless you. And now we ask you to speak to us, O oh God, as only you can. And as you've helped us to know that you're God, help us to understand the deep things of the great God who dwells in a light unapproachable the King, immortal, eternal, invisible. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It is good to be home. At my age, it's good to be anywhere, but it's good to be home. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. I'm always super duper excited whenever Pastor Carter gives me an invitation to stop by and say hi. And um, I do thank God for Pastor Carter. Thank God for Pastor Teresa. You know where I am. I'm out in Summit taking care of business as we do. Um, we have a few classes that we are engaged in. Obviously, summertime, so I'm learning to teach over the summer. There's a class that I'm going to... Um, develop this um, autumn. Um, those of you who have not registered, there's still time. <laughs> a class I'm going to develop this autumn called Spiritual Formation. And basically, it's, it's simply a class on discipleship. So I've been thinking a lot about it. I've been praying a lot about it. And I want to share some things with you um, on that topic this morning. And what I've 
learned to do over the years is whenever you begin to develop an idea, develop a topic, the best thing to do is to begin at the beginning, right? So whenever I'm looking at a doctrine in the scripture, I'll always try to go to Genesis first to find out where that doctrine begins. Because usually in the book of Genesis, you're going to find some beginning, some, what, something they call a germ or a seed of a doctrine. And of course, it develops over the course of time and over the course of the scripture. Sometimes we call that progressive revelation, but at least it starts in Genesis, right? And so I have a message this morning that I call the dawn of discipleship. Now, the reason why I call it the dawn of discipleship is because while we can go to certain passages in the scripture, such as the Sermon on the Mount and so on and so forth, and really develop the concept of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a disciple of Christ, I think if we start at the beginning, we can at least get some, some moorings. We can find out where we are, and then we can work on growing in that later on as time progresses. So we'll start at Genesis, and then maybe later on come back and do some other teachings. But for now, let's start there. Now, consider the fact that when God created human persons, he created us in his image and after his likeness. That's what God said. Let us create the human persons in our image and after our likeness. So we were created first and foremost to be in relationship with God, right? To reflect God, in a sense to radiate God and to have reverence for God, right? Because he created us. That means we are entirely contingent upon him, dependent upon him. So we are people who recognize that by way of reverence. And because we are created in his image and after his likeness, we are supposed to look like God. That is to say, when Christians are Christians, when people are people in general, but more specifically, when Christians are Christians, we are radiating Christ. We are reflecting Christ. In fact, the Bible says that we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ by the Holy Spirit. So if somebody were to ask me, what does it mean to be a Christian? I'm not going to simply say a Christian is a believer because we are believers, but we're more than that. The Bible says that the devils believe and tremble. But, so we're more than believers. And somebody might say, well, are we followers of Christ? Yes, we are. We're believers and we're followers of Christ, but we're more than that. Because Jesus says any person having put their hand to the plow, right, and turning back is not worthy of being my disciple. That means we can follow, but you saw for a moment or two, even Peter followed from afar, but when the going got rough, he began to deny that he even knew Jesus. So we are believers, but not just believers. And we are followers, but not just followers, right? And of course, we could say, no, 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 we're not just believers, we're not just followers, we are worshipers. And that's true, we are worshipers. But Jesus said, you know, to the woman at the well, that she worshiped, but she didn't really know what she was worshiping. So we can be worshipers, but Jesus says that the Father is looking for those who worship in spirit and in truth. So we don't simply want to be believers. We don't simply want to be followers. We don't even simply want to be worshipers. We want to be a specific kind of worshiper. 
We want to be those who worship God in spirit and in truth. And in my opinion, that is what a disciple is. Now, to worship God in spirit and in truth obviously means to be led by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, in how we engage God and in how we address God. Now, we already know that the Bible says that we have been preordained by God to be conformed to the image of God by the Holy Spirit. So if we've been conformed to the, been preordained to be conformed to the image of God by the Holy Spirit, we know that that's part of our worship experience, allowing the Holy Spirit to, little by little, bring us from day to day, from point to point, from image to image, from glory to glory, from faith to faith, from grace to grace, more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Secondarily, we are to be true. Now, true doesn't simply mean honest, and it doesn't simply mean to be intellectually accurate, but it also means the way you would see a person who, who's working with a bow and arrow, right? And they want that arrow to be true. Remember what sin is. Sin is to miss the mark, right? It's to have a crooked arrow. It's something that goes the wrong way. A true arrow is something that's going to go straight, right? And it has to do with our practical life as well as our intellectual life. Now, going back to Genesis, we begin to see how God has ordained the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, to develop our character, to make us disciples. Now, it begins, as I mentioned before, with this idea of God saying, let us create human persons in our image after our likeness. So it begins with this concept, first and foremost, of the relationship that we have with God. So all real discipleship has as its primary consideration true relationship. So when we are in right relationship with God, we are moving in the proper direction with regard to spiritual maturity, spiritual formation, and true Christian discipleship. Now, again, that relationship is a relationship of reflection and a relationship of reverence. So our relationship with God is different than our relationship with anyone else. We have various kinds of relationships in our lives. Our relationship with God is a relationship of reverence. I like the idea that in our generation, we have reminded ourselves that we are, as Christian people, not centered around a religious structure. We're not centered around ritualism, but we are centered around a relationship. The thing that I don't want us to miss or to forget is that it is still a reverent relationship. It's not simply the kind of relationship I have with my friends, with my neighbors, with husband, wife, with children, and so on and so forth. This is a very different kind of relationship. It's one where we recognize that we are utterly and entirely dependent upon, contingent upon this person who is our creator. You and I have got to remind ourselves, irrespective of what unbelievers say, there is no such thing as a natural and supernatural dichotomy. Everything is supernatural. In other words, God created 
this universe. It did not create itself. And God sustains the universe. It does not sustain itself. If God created it and God sustains it, then it is supernatural. If it is supernatural, then we can readily expect things like miracles. We can readily expect things like healings. We can readily expect things like God coming through when there seems to be no other hope and there seems to be no other answer. Because there is no natural world in the sense that the unbeliever would suggest. That is to say, a world outside of God's influence. That does not exist. This is a lie that the enemy tries to bring into the mind of the Christian so that we don't expect miracles. So that we don't expect the supernatural. So that we think that the supernatural is an anomaly. We think that the supernatural is something that doesn't happen. And if it does, it happens periodically. But if God is perpetually sustaining the universe, then the universe is perpetually under supernatural influence. And if that's the case, then we should always expect miracles. We should always expect God to come through supernaturally. We should always expect God to do something wonderful. And if that's the case, then we should always walk in reverence. We should always walk in godly fear, recognizing that we are utterly and totally dependent upon God, but upon a good and a righteous and a holy and a pure a God who loves us. We can bow down to him and recognize our responsibility to reflect him. And more, because we're Christians, we don't simply reflect God, we radiate God. In other words, his light doesn't just bounce off of us and outward, his light lives in us and comes forth from us. So our first project then, as disciples is to recognize that we are the light of the world. We are that supernatural expression of God in the world. As long as there is a Christian in the world, this is a supernatural world. As long as there is a church in the world, there is a supernatural world. As long as the Holy Spirit is in the world, to convince the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, there is a supernatural world. As long as God has created the world and as long as God sustains the world, there is a supernatural world. So we recognize that reality and being a disciple means that we express the super nature of God because remember, we're no longer of the old nature. We're of the new nature, which is the supernature. We are a supernatural people. The more we understand that, the more we begin to live that way. The more we begin to express that. You see, we can't allow the world to tell us that we're hairless apes. We can't allow the world to tell us that somehow we have emerged from the primordial ooze and that we have nothing else to offer. We can't allow the world to tell us that we're just so much chemicals and just so much meat, so much flesh, and maybe $2.98 worth of chemicals. We cannot allow that because it is not true. 
We are a supernatural people. And when we walk in reverence and when we radiate Christ, then we are the disciples of God. Hallelujah. Also, besides this idea of relationship, there is this idea of rest. The Bible says that God took the man and the woman and he caused them, literally it says in the original language, caused them to rest in the midst of the garden. And every Christian manifests the supernatural reality of God by walking in a peace that passes understanding. Jesus says, my peace I give you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. One of the surest signs of the supernatural power of God and one of the surest signs of discipleship in the Christian life is that we refuse to worry. We refuse to fear. Did you realize that the fear of the Lord is very, very jealous? And the fear of God will not share his temple with any other kind of fear. And if you walk in godly fear, you won't fear anything else. <laughs> Hallelujah. And the true disciples of God allow the Holy Spirit to give us a peace that passes understanding. Allows us to rest in God. To recognize that even in the process that we go through. Remember we talked about this progressive revelation. There's also progressive sanctification. That is to say we are growing in our understanding and our learning. And we're growing in our capacity to apply these things. And to express these things in our everyday life. But as we grow we rest. We don't say I'm not going to rest until everything is perfect. We say, I'm going to trust in Christ as I grow, as I develop. I'm not going to allow the devil to lie to me one day of my life. I'm not going to allow the devil to say to me, I'm not this enough or I'm not that enough because he's never going to stop. I talk to my students sometimes and I say, if you're going to wait until the lies stop, before you can begin to believe truth, you're going to be waiting for a long time. <laughs> because the devil's not going to stop lying. You may as well cling to truth. You may as well begin to practice truth. You may as well begin to love truth. Because if you're waiting for the devil to stop lying to you before you begin to embrace truth, yeah, you're going to be waiting for a while. Embrace truth. You are who God says you are. You are the disciples of Christ, the people of God. And this is not a pep talk. This is an onward march because we got a lot of things to do in this generation. Our goal is not to come to church on Sunday morning to feel good. We got some wars to fight and we got some lives to save. Hallelujah. We have to make a difference in this generation. 
and you and I can't fight. We can't wage war unless we're at peace. There's something about this way of Christianity. There's something about Christian discipleship that says we are never really at peace unless we are waging war. And we can never wage war unless we're actually at peace. See, if I'm not fighting for souls, I can't find any peace. If I'm not making a difference in my generation, there's nothing that can relax me. But at the same time, if there's not an inner peace that passes understanding, and if there's not peace between me and my brothers and sisters in this house. There's not much I can do out there. So we have to be a people who recognize the peace of God. A people who recognize that true warriors have an inner peace. And people who are truly at peace are the ones are willing to take up their arms and fight the good fight. If you and I are looking for peace that is evasive of spiritual warfare, then we're not reading our Bibles right. Because from Genesis straight through to Revelation, it is war. And in the midst of that war, there is peace. That's the Christian life. That's the life of the disciple. You and I can't rewrite it. It is what it is. And then besides relationship and rest, there's responsibility that God gives to every disciple. Remember, he gives them two levels of responsibility. The first, he tells them to, to guard the garden and to cultivate it. That's what it says in the original language. Guard it and cultivate it. Because they were here in the garden, but the earth had been already impacted by the fall of the enemy. Remember, the enemy was already in the earth. The serpent was already in the earth. They were supposed to guard the garden they were supposed to have dominion over all of the animals. Now, as they are guarding the garden, this responsibility, there are regulations within the garden regarding the trees of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree at the center of the garden, which was the tree of life. Now, here's what's going on. God is asking them on one level, to get to know everything that he's provided for them. He said, of every tree that I provided for you, you must freely partake. Understand that the first commandment God gave to human persons was not a negative commandment. It was a positive. <coughs> you must eat what I've given you. We just saw that in the communion. Take, eat. 
This is me for you. The same thing. Partake of everything that I provided for you because that's huge in discipleship. So we partake of God's word. We partake of communion. We partake in prayer of his voice. We partake of one another's friendship, one another's community. We partake. We don't allow ourselves to go hungry because, thank you so much, because when you go hungry, then you'll eat anything. Right? <laughs> it's the truth. If they had followed the first part of the commandment, they might not have fell to the second part. Of every tree of the garden, you must certainly eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you must not eat. Right? Now, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents this idea can you trust God? Yes or no? That's all it is. Because remember, when the enemy comes, he's not trying to confuse them with a whole lot of this and that. He's simply saying, you can't trust God. I know he told you this, but this is, this is the real deal. He's basically saying, you have to choose for yourself whether or not God is good or whether or not God is evil. That's the whole question of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Is God good? Yes or no? That was the only thing that they had. To, they, that's all they had to engage in. Now, if they had recognized their responsibility, there were three things that God was asking them to do with regard to these, these regulations that he gave them. Get to know God. Remember, we started off with this idea of relationship so that you can know whether or not God is good, right? Get to know him, understand him, right? But also recognize the limitations of your reasoning capacity so that as you begin to evaluate things, and he's telling them to evaluate all kinds of things, right? He's telling them to cultivate the garden, so they're looking at all the vegetation. They're probably the first, in a very real sense, the first scientists, right? Because they're, they're looking at the garden. They're finding out how it grows. They're being able to keep it from weeding up and so on and so forth. They're cultivating it, keeping it from going bad. Later on, he would tell them to name the animals. So again, they're categorizing the animals, finding out the animals that belong in the garden and the animals that don't belong in the garden, naming them each one by, I'm, I'm sure, by their characteristics and so on and so forth. So getting to know them. That's why the Bible says the enemy was more subtle. The serpent was more subtle than any other animal. To get to know them. To understand what's around you. Because that's what disciples do. Remember Jesus had a problem with some of his people by saying, you know, the people of this age are wiser in their generation than the people of light. You know, and he says they ought to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. And he said they can discern the sign of the skies and the weather, but they can't discern the sign of the times. And he's trying to tell them, no, you need to know what's going on in the world around you. So you partake of everything that God has provided for you, all the things that we understand as far as spiritual things, but you also know what's going on in your world, right? So he tells them to cultivate the garden, name all the animals, and protect what's yours, right? And then begin to branch out, have dominion, be fruitful, multiply. Be fruitful basically means, you know, produce after your own kind. So it deals with quality and quantity, right? The Bible tells us to bear fruit, right? But it talks about it in two ways, doesn't it? It talks about us as having the fruit of the Spirit, and it talks about us as reproducing ourselves, evangelism, and so on and so forth. So they're given these responsibilities, just like every disciple is given. And to kind of put it all in a nutshell, it's, listen, know your God, know yourself, know what God has provided for you, Know your community 
and know your limitations, right? So as far as when it comes down to discerning for yourself what's good and evil, there's some things you can understand and other things you have to lift up your hands and say, God knows. God knows. I'm not in a position as a pot to tell the potter that he ought to do this and he ought to do that. So I'm not in a position to judge God. But I am in a position to look at the things that he told me to look at and evaluate those things. So the flora and the fauna and things of that nature. If he tells me to evaluate the, the vegetation, I do that. If he tells me to evaluate the animal life, I do that, and so on and so forth. If he tells me to check my own heart with regard to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I'll do that, and so on and so forth. But that's what disciples do. So when you look at the book of Genesis, if you look at it right, and you and I try to look at the Bible the way it's supposed to be looked at, we try to read it the way it was supposed to be read, then we're going to find out, even at those very early stages, that these things are not fables, right? They're not fairy tales. They're not mystical things. They're right there. They're super duper practical. But they're also supernatural because they come from God, but they come from God to human persons in human context. So we can understand them, right? So now as Christians, we have to ask ourselves a very basic question. Are we open to being disciples? Because a disciple is defined by God through the scriptures and when manifested, it is the supernatural element in this generation. When disciples are functioning as disciples, excuse me, we're not simply believers. We're not simply followers. And we are not people who worship in ways that may or may not resemble the scriptural direction. But we worship in spirit and in truth. And when we do that, people begin to realize that there is still God. That God still sits above the circle of the earth. Hallelujah. That heaven is still his throne and earth is still his footstool. But irrespective of what people might say, this is not a post-Christian generation because that would have to mean that Christ is no longer king. And I've heard some people say, you know, I, I, I have Jesus as my Savior, but not, a, not as my Lord, not just yet. No, no, you, you, you can get that back. You, you can have him as Lord and not as Savior. In other words, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord of all, whether a person wants him or not. <laughs> the question is whether or not they will allow him to save them. The question is whether or not they will allow him to be their savior. Everybody will call Jesus Lord, whether they be sheep or whether they be goat, whether they go to heaven or whether they go to hell. Everybody, 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 everybody. everybody. Everybody, 
will call Jesus Lord. The question is whether or not they're going to have the privilege, the honor, the joy of calling him Savior. For us as disciples, we want to do everything that we can to give as many people as possible the privilege of knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior. We want them to see what it looks like when Jesus saves people. We want them to recognize that what we have is not just a religion and that what we have is not confined to these four walls. And that what we have is not simply confined to our hearts, but it radiates from our hearts. And it impacts this world. And that we have as much right, if not more, to impact this world and to make our presence known as anybody in this generation and that the Christian movement will not be silent. Hallelujah. That the disciples of God will not allow ourselves to become politically correct. Hallelujah. But that we're going to keep on preaching. We're going to keep on teaching. We're going to keep on evangelizing. We're going to keep on healing. We're going to keep on feeding the hungry. We're going to keep on clothing the naked. We're going to keep on visiting the sick and the imprisoned. We're going to keep on casting out devils. We're going to continue to get in the way of the adversary. We're going to continue to say the things that God has told us to say and to do the things that God has told us to do. We're not going to stop no matter what happens. We're not afraid of the devil. We're not afraid of the grave. We're not afraid of the threats. We have a responsibility in this generation. We are the disciples of God. We have heard the voice of the Most High. And we have a commission from the great God. There is something that God is still doing in this generation. And there is still a people of the great God who have a commission upon their lives who will not be silent in this generation. Who will not stop talking about their Jesus. Who will not stop blessing his name. Who will not stop calling him Savior. Who will not stop calling him Redeemer. Who will not stop calling him Deliverer. Who will not stop calling him Healer. Who will not stop calling on the name of the great and the mighty God. Let his name be praised forever. Let his people be known in this generation. 
as that people who have taken the baton from the generation before and are insistent upon passing it on to the next, Jesus will be glorified. His name will be praised. Hallelujah. His glory, his glory, his glory will be seen. I want to pray with you this morning. Because the enemy wants to shut us down. He said, I don't mind if y'all get loud in y'all's building, but just stay in y'all's building. <laughs> but no, 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 no. Revival is going to flow through these doors like a stream flowing through the streets of this city. Hallelujah. Because we have something to say. We have something to contribute and we have a responsibility. We are the disciples of God. A supernatural people. A people who bear witness that there is such an one as God. Brothers and sisters, this is our pedigree. It is our legacy. It is our destiny. It is our heritage. We are the sons and daughters of the great God. Hallelujah. 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 Let's stand together in the house of the Lord. I want to pray with you this morning. If you say, I just want to be salt and light. Even if you don't exactly know right now what that entails. You might not know exactly how God is going to use you, or you might know exactly how God is going to use you or how he's using you. It doesn't matter. If you simply say, I want to be salt and light. I want to be a true disciple of Christ. And you and I know that that's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not about us clenching our fists and gritting our teeth and and, and saying, I'm going to make this happen. No, God the Spirit. Remember, we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ by the Spirit. You say, Brother brother Will, I I just want, I just want to walk with Jesus in a way that reminds people in this generation that there's actually hope, that there's actually help, that there is actually God. And you just want to pray for strength. And you want to pray for brotherhood and sisterhood. Right? You want to be reminded that you're not alone in this journey. And you want to remind somebody that they're not alone. Then whether you're here in this main sanctuary, whether you are online with us, whether you're in the ancillary or the annex, rather, you stand where you need to stand. You do what you need to do if you're watching at home. You do what you need to do. But you commit to allowing the Spirit to cause Christ to radiate from you in such a way that God cannot be denied in this generation. 
This is not a post-Christian generation. There is no such thing as a post-Christian generation. There is no such thing as a natural world. This is God's world still. This is still a supernatural world, and we are God's people. Hallelujah. If God is speaking to you, brothers and sisters, please come to the front of this auditorium. We're going to pray together in the name of that great and holy Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Look around you. Look around you. You're not alone. You're part of a family. And sometimes you walk through the streets of this city, and I imagine you feel like, am I the only one left? You know? See, Elijah in the days of old, where, where are God's people? Am I the only one left? Look around you. You're not alone. You're part of a family. One of the awesome things about the altar call, one of the things that I love about it, it's a reminder that you're not fighting this battle by yourself, that we're fighting together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> and if you ever want proof that this is a supernatural family, look at the diversity cultures, the nations, the peoples. You can't get that outside. They try and try and try, but it doesn't happen. We are a supernatural people. We are the people of God. We are truly brothers and sisters, truly family, truly family. And we are making a difference in this world. If we weren't here, I can't even imagine what this world would look like. But we're here. And we're making a difference. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let's pray, Father, in Jesus' holy name. We acknowledge you as God. What a joy it is to call upon your name, to know that you hear us. We know that you hear us because our cry comes from you. You are in us, causing us to cry, Abba, Father. We couldn't even expect you to hear us unless you already heard us. We absolutely love you. And we love the thought that we can represent you in this generation. We love the thought that we can be salt and light in this world. We know you haven't given up in, on this world because we're still here. You haven't turned your back on this generation because you still have a people in this generation. You still have a church here. You haven't given up on our communities. You haven't given up on our families. You haven't given up on our loved ones because we're still here. And you're still here. Lord, I pray for my brothers and my sisters a, a blessing beyond measure. A blessing of the favored. A blessing of the beloved. A supernatural touch from God. 
sharpen our sense of your presence, our sense of your great calling on our lives, our commission in this generation. Take away from us any unnecessary pressure that doesn't come from you, but a rest and a peace that comes from God. Hallelujah. So that we can do what we do as naturally and as supernaturally as you've decided and as you have designed. Lord, lay your hand upon each one. Cause your name to be glorious in our midst. And let revival flow through these doors as these doors open at the end of this service. Let revival flow through these streets as we go to our various places, our homes and our workplaces and our schools and everywhere we go. Let revival flow through these streets as your people walk these streets. Oh God, in Jesus' name. And we will thank you for it. And we will bless you for it. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.